Good to see everyone here. It is, uh, we're launching Missions Convention right now, and we're also wrapping up our Nehemiah series, which is kind of cool and weird at the same time, because, because of the snow, it's kind of blending together, but it actually goes really, really well. But over the next four weeks, um, our mission series is called Empowered from Acts 1-8. We've been empowered by God to go out and, and change lives and transform lives, not because you and I have power to transform anyone, but God moving through us changes people's lives. But over the next four weeks, we're going to have some missionaries uh, coming and sharing with us. And uh, this morning, we have Karen Nichols. Karen, where are you? Come on up, Karen. Welcome, Karen. She's going to come. We're going to do this interview style. Put her on the spot. Try and intimidate her, but she's not intimidating anymore because she was here this morning and did this. But Karen, it is good to have you with us. And it's on? Yes. Okay. There we go. Sometimes we don't get it on. It's on. Anyway, um, Tell everybody where you're, where, basically where God's called you and, and what it is exactly that you do. Okay. I am a missionary to El Salvador. I've been there the last seven years, but specifically I work in a small community called Las Delicias. My church started working there several years ago, and just over the years I developed more of a love. And we have an outreach ministry. It's like a before and after school program that we reach out to about 200 kids on a, on a weekly basis, and we teach them English. On their off time when they're not in public school. Awesome. So describe the environment now okay. of, of, of where it is that you serve. Um, El Salvador, I don't know how much you know about El Salvador, but in all of the news on people crossing the border, I'm sure you've heard it mentioned, but in El Salvador, it's a pretty gang-infested country. It's about the same size as Massachusetts, and I always share this statistics just to give you an idea of what we're dealing with. It's about the same population, a little over 6 million people here and there. In, in Massachusetts, you're going to deal with about 100 and probably less than 150 murders in a year. In El Salvador last year, they ended with 3,900 murders, over 3,900 murders. And most of that is gang-related. And I work in a gang-infested community, MS-13, if you've heard of it. And that's a gang that operates where I'm at. Okay, so you've been there for seven years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we want to go back. I want to take you back. Like you know, you've been there, um, like I said, seven years. And so, how on earth did you did God lead you? Tell us about how God called you. Mm-hmm. How did He get your attention? And how did it all happen? I went on my first missions trip to Las Delicias when I was um, just after I graduated high school. And right before, right after I graduated, I decided I was going to go to Zion for a one year program. I wasn't going to go full time, but just the one year. And it just happened perfectly. I went on my first missions trip, and the Lord just stirred inside of me a a passion and a love for missions. And then I started at Zion once I realized it wasn't just going to be a one year. It was going to be the four years full time. And that's how it started, just going from 99 to 2004. My church made a five-year commitment, and over those five years, I was able to go on 10 short-term missions trips. You guys hear that? So basically, that church was doing missions trips. And uh, from there, it just kind of, mm-hmm. God grabs your heart with it. Yes. And, uh, and now here you are. Mm-hmm. So those of you guys going to Haiti, just pack your bags. Yeah. Just know eventually <laughs> you're going to end up moving there. Yeah. Some of you guys don't mind doing that, right? <laughs> All right, so, so, okay, now going on a 10-day missions trip and then moving there mm-hmm. is uh, significantly different. Right. Um, what was that like? And, and, I mean, what were some of the big shock factors mm-hmm. for you? And did you ever get to that moment where you were like, God, I think I messed up here. I'm yeah. not sure that <laughs> I heard you right. Um, well, the biggest challenge is the language. So I spent some time in Costa Rica studying Spanish to learn it. 
and then just learning it more and more as you go about ministry. But the probably the biggest challenge was just it's a whole new culture. Everything's different, food, the language, the way they do things. But just really setting aside my culture and learning that my way isn't the right way, but immersing myself more in the community and learning that way. I don't really feel like anybody taught me, but the Lord was faithful and just developing relationships with people to be able to learn the right way, their way. <laughs> and we talked about this first service a little bit, but um, when you first kind of, when God first began to, to, to call you, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that you really didn't feel like no. you had the right person kind of sort no, of, right? No, in my nature is to be more of a quiet, timid person back on, on the sidelines. And so when I was growing up as a child, I always had a deep desire to serve the Lord and just please him in any way that I could. But I never felt a call to full-time ministry, never mind missions. Um, and the, back to the question that you just said, was there ever a time I felt like throwing in the towel? I think the enemy knows where, where to target us at times. And so when you deal with weaknesses... My weakness was, am I really making a difference? Can I do anything here? So it was never like I really wanted to quit, but those are the ways that he can come against you. But, yes, I never felt um, like the Lord said, hey, Karen, you're going to go be a missionary. But I did have that desire to serve him and to please him, and that's all he wanted. He just wants willing vessels, and that's what I was. I was willing to be used. But you, So God sends you to a place you never really thought you'd end up going, no. gang-infested. Yeah, gang, yep. And, and I mentioned this first service, but, you know, um, you're a young lady, mm-hmm. and your parents are cool with this, right? Like, go to the gang-infested El yeah. Salvador and hang out there. And Well, we always knew it was gang-infested, but we didn't know to what extent, because short-term relationships, you only see an aspect right. of that. Long-term, it was far worse than I saw many things that I never thought I would see. In the beginning, I kept those stories from my mom, but as time went on, t- things got worse. We're dealing with the gang members actually coming up on our property, the property that where I work. So there's lots of, so just for the sake of prayer, mom, this is what's happening. She has a peace about it because she knows that the Lord has sent me there, even, awesome. even though it's dangerous. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so what is, if you tell everybody, what is like, is there a single challenge that's been kind of a big challenge that you kind of recognize that God's helped you through mm-hmm. over the last seven years? Anything significant? I would say um, just in, in empowering me to be to be the person that I, I meant to be in that community. Again, the gang violence is like the thread throughout this speech because it is a reality. It's not just um, things that you hear on the news. It's really what I'm dealing with. In the last two years in particular, like I said, we are dealing with the gang members coming up onto the hilltop because we have the property in a nice soccer field that was recently built up. If you know anything about the rest of the world, football doesn't matter. Baseball isn't a big deal. Soccer is a big deal. So when you have a nice soccer field... This church knows nothing about soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the rest of the world, yes. (laughs) Um, So once we had a great soccer field, they wanted to be up there, and that has been probably the biggest challenge, just knowing that God has a purpose and a plan even in all of that, but really trying to fight to to keep our, give the kids a safe place to be when they're surrounded by that on the streets. It's crazy. So you're doing this work and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden gangs decide they want your property. Yes. That's kind of wild. Okay. What is something that God's doing right now that you're kind of excited about? Just kind of got your heart. Um, Can one slide before this one, if we... I just want to show you guys some kids. Okay, there is a younger version of myself, the bottom. When I was going on short-term trips, and I met this kid named Diego, and he's sitting on the stairs with me along with 
Danyen, and two other boys that aren't in the picture, but they have a, I don't know if you've heard of Master's Commission program, but it's a full-time, hands-on ministry Bible training, and they're Four of them are now in that program, so I am just so excited about what the Lord is doing in their lives and how I can't imagine how far he's going to take them, even for them to be an example to the community and the kids that I work with on a daily basis, knowing that there's hope, right? They really can get out of that, and the Lord can do great things with their lives, so I'm pretty excited to see the Lord using them. It's very focused on missions, so they've already gone on several missions trips, each one of them, so that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Just one life at a time. Yes, exactly. Pouring in. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, needs. There are a lot of needs out there, um, and so obviously we know financial is, is, is always a need. What are some other needs you want to communicate with the church this morning that you want us to try and help you with? <laughs> the biggest need, well, everything comes along financially, right? That's, that's the source of it, but with the program, the, after, the before and after school program, I teach English. I had a friend there teaching with me for the past two years, but her term is up, so really we just need help. And the goal this time around being home raising funds is to raise more money to be able to hire Salvadoran teachers so the work can continue whether we're there. The church is still there, so the church is operating and they're still doing ministry, but the English class is not happening because they don't have an English speaker. So just trying to establish something that can be more long-term. Okay. And prayers for the gang situation, too. All right, so <laughs> prayers, definitely prayers, finances, and help. Help mm-hmm. is, always, uh, is always important. Uh, Karen, if there's like one thing that you'd like to leave the church with, the people mm-hmm. with, there's one thing that's on your mind, what, what would it be? Um, I think you're going to hear it tied into your sermon according to this morning too, but um, what I've learned, just this struggle over the past two years of um, just suffering through this this great trial with the problem with the gang members, especially coming up to our property, the, the verse on the screen says, and we know that the Lord works together, all things together for our good, the ones who have been called according to his purpose. And 200 kids, my, my title, my job is missionary, but I guess you could call me a baker too by trade because every month we celebrate the kids' birthdays. Usually we're dealing with 200 kids. I'm an expert cupcake maker. And I shared this verse with the kids um, this past year that everything, all things, not just the good things, but everything works together for, for our good. And I gave the illustration of the cake batter, the eggs, the oil, everything that you need. On your own, you're not going to drink that oil or eat those eggs, raw eggs. But when you mix it together, you get something perfect on the other side. So I'm going to just take a guess and um, say that there's at least one person struggling in here. And we're human. I'm pretty sure there's probably more than that. At some point or another, we're going to face those trials and problems in our lives. But know that the Lord has allowed this situation into your life, and he's working it out for your good. In his glory, too. Awesome, guys. Karen Nichols, we want to pray for her. And uh, we gave her a check during first service just to help her out. But I also want to say, guys, she went on a missions trip, and, and she thought she was just going on a missions trip. She didn't realize that God would use that to really grab her heart and really change her life and, and felt unqualified and, and really even question her effectiveness in the midst of it, but God's been using it for seven years, and, uh, and she hasn't run away, even amongst the gangs and the, and the violence, but she needs our prayers, and she needs our support, and so we just want to pray over Would you just stretch out your hand just towards her? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for, for Karen, Lord God. We thank you for her life. God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that although she felt unqualified and, and maybe not skilled enough, 
that she moved in obedience to you, Lord God. And we thank you, Father, that it's your power and it's your authority going through her and moving through her that is changing lives, Lord God, of kids, Lord God. We thank you, Father, that you are, you, you are keeping kids um, through this ministry um, from joining these gangs, Lord God. God, we just pray, Father, for your hand of protection over our life. We pray, God, that you would meet every financial need, Lord God, every need for, for, for teachers, Lord God, and equipping of this ministry. God, we pray for these, for these people, Lord God, in El Salvador. We pray for these kids, that, God, that, that not only would they prevent kids from joining gangs, but God, they'd actually lead kids out of gangs, Lord God, and that you would transform them lives, transform them lives, just, just one life at a time, Lord God, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Karen. Give another round of applause. She will be at the back, and she has a table at the back, and uh, I'm sure she'd love to answer any questions or chat with you further about what God is doing. And, uh, and Beth would want me to say that she started off as a missionette, so it's just another uh, hit for girls' ministry. So unless parents go, oh, I don't want my kid to be a missionette now. I don't want to go into El Salvador and hang out with gang members. But God is good, right? God sends us to places to help people, broken people. Uh, like I said, we end our Nehemiah series this morning, and again, it really ties in with, with where we're going with the Empowered series, but uh, let's wrap the Nehemiah series up. A medical doctor at the University of Vienna wrote this, there is nothing in the world which helps a man surmount his difficulties, survive his disasters, and stay healthy and happy as knowledge of a life task worthy of his devotion. Let me read that again. I want you to catch that. There is nothing in the world which helps a man surmount his difficulties, survive his disasters, and stay healthy and happy than a knowledge of a life task worthy of his devotion. What task or job is worthy of your devotion? So think about that. What, what, what task, what job is really worthy of your devotion? What is that thing maybe that, that, that at the end of your life, you could look back at your entire life, whatever God blesses you with, and go, man, that thing, that path, that avenue I was on, that was really worthy of me giving my life to? It's kind of a tough question, isn't it? I think sometimes as, as, maybe as we think about that, we might go, man, I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, man, I, I did this, and this is what I devoted my life, my breath to, my passion to. See, when you find that task that is worthy to devote your entire life to, and when you fix your eyes upon that task, then everything gets put into place. Even when difficulties come, when disaster strikes, it's that knowledge of your mission, of your purpose, of your focus, of your passion that is worthy of your life that will keep you on course. Because we know, man, things are going to come, right? Things always come. Problems always come. Obstacles always, always happen. Disaster strikes and things can derail us. But man, when you stay focused on what it is that, 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 that you've been called to, that's worthy of a life devotion, then you will stay the course. You will pick yourself back up. You will dust yourself off. And you will, and you will stay the path. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great multitude of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You just pause there. I want you to think back of Jesus. Jesus, is, is, he's the son of God. He doesn't have to come to this earth. But he sees you and your sin. He sees me and my sin. He sees me and my brokenness. And he knows that without him coming, without him stepping foot on this earth and going to a cross and dying for me, then I'm hopeless. And I'm separated from him. And, and, and I spend my life eternally separated from him in hell. But if he will come and if he will walk this life and if he will go to a cross on my behalf and die in my place, then I will live. And so Jesus, he fixes his eyes on this and says, man, because this is worthwhile, because this is, this is something worthy of my devotion, then he comes to this world and he walks this life and he endures a cross, crucifixion on a cross. If you remember scripture, it looks at when you go to the Garden of the Gethsemane, and it's, the, it's before he's crucified, and it's there that he's wrestling because he doesn't really, everything that's human about him doesn't want to be nailed and crucified on a cross any more than you and I want to be. And it's there that he's got this tension and this wrestling and, this, and just this, this, almost this anxiety of what's about to happen, and he's wrestling with it, and he says, but God, not, your, not, not my will, but your will be done. And what puts him on that cross is the understanding and the passion and the love that he has for you. And he has for me. And that's what helps him stay the course. And because he stayed the course, my life has never been the same. And because he stayed the course, your life has never been the same. And because he stayed the course, I'm no longer broken. Not because of my own power or my own giftings or skill sets, because I'm nothing, but only because of him and his grace and mercy. So man, when you find something worth giving your life for, it's a powerful thing. And see, in the scripture in Hebrews, it doesn't end with that, but it ends with this. It says, consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So this is passages for us in Hebrews. It says, man, when you're going through opposition and you're going through a tough time and you feel like, man, the world is up against you, man, don't give up. But think about Jesus Christ who endured a cross for you and I and find strength in the fact that he did this and it is him who will see you through. You know, as we, as we consider these words and, and that quote from, that, from that, that person I read earlier and we place those statements against the backdrop of Nehemiah, we kind of can begin to get an understanding of what gripped Nehemiah's heart, of what kept Nehemiah on task, when neither external nor internal challenges would sway him from, from what God called him to do. And so today, as we end the series, I'm going to recap and try and put this whole thing into perspective a little bit about what exactly happened. And so we'll go back to the beginning where God interrupts Nehemiah's life. We know Nehemiah is in exile from Jerusalem. He's, uh, he's in Persia. He's serving King Artaxerxes. He's the cupbearer. And so they've been, he's been in exile from Jerusalem for many, many years. In fact, it's believed he may not have ever, even been to Jerusalem. And he's got himself in a pretty good job right now. He's the cupbearer to the king. He has influence. Um, it's a good place to be. He has security. He's taken care of financially. He's in a good place. And all of a sudden, while he's there, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, word comes to him about the disrepair of the walls surrounding Jerusalem. 
that the walls are lying in ruins and the, and the gates are burned, and it grips his heart. And he can't shake it. Now, he has no reason why he should be concerned. He could have said, man, I'm hundreds of miles away. I haven't even been to Jerusalem. I know it's my home city, but you know what? This is where I am. This is where God's got me or whatever, and, and I'm good. But no, for some reason, this thing grips his heart, and he can't shake it. And it grips his heart so much that he begins to weep and pray and fast, going, God, what do you want me to do about this? Have you ever been in that position? Maybe all of a sudden something comes across your past. Some, there's some need, there's some problem, and all of a sudden it grips your heart. You find yourself kind of just wrestling with it, like, man, this will not leave me alone. But you're not sure what you're supposed to do. See, Nehemiah finds himself in this place. And although hundreds of miles away, he can't shake it, he can't get rid of it. But it's interesting because when you really think about Nehemiah and this position, as we look back on his life, we'll understand that, man, God had positioned him and trained him all the years of his life for this moment. He wasn't cupbearer to the king by some strange coincidence or some accident. He didn't have this influence for no reason, and God happened to stumble on Nehemiah, and by chance, hey, here's this guy over here, let me just use him. No, from the very beginning, God was training and equipping Nehemiah for this time. God had placed him with that kind of influence with this king. And God allowed this this need to grip his heart. And so here's Nehemiah. He's been placed. He's been built for this. It's the reason he's been born. And now what happens when all of a sudden this thing grips his heart and as he's wrestling with it and, 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 and struggling with it, he suddenly realizes he's in a position to do something. But it also, it's not an easy position. It's a dangerous position. Because if he were to approach the king or if he were to even look sad in the king's presence, the king could have him killed just like this. So to approach the king and actually even bring this sadness or this disappointment towards the king is... And no, no, you don't do that. To ask the king for a leave of absence, you don't do that either. Again, worst case scenario, he gets killed. Best case scenario, the king has favor on him, but there's a whole lot of things in between there where he can, be, he can go to jail, he loses his job, everything. But this passion, I feel like it's at this moment in Nehemiah's life that for the first time, something grabbed him, grabbed his heart. For the first time in his life, he was passionate about something. For the first time in his life, it's like his, the, the blinders were taken off. And it was like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be about. Because it grabbed his heart so much that he would risk his life. He would risk his career. He would risk jail time. He would risk everything to follow this passion that had grabbed his heart about broken walls in Jerusalem, a city he had never even been to. You know, sometimes I think we can look at our own lives, right? And sometimes we can go, man, I don't know where I am. I don't know that I have this kind of experience. I don't know that I have this kind of passion. And, and I want to I encourage you, man, God does train his people. And our paths look different. Maybe you're not in a place where you feel like you're in ministry right now, but I want to tell you this, God may be training and equipping you. Just as he trained and equipped Nehemiah before that time came where God actually put him into, uh, 
into motion. And so here Nehemiah is, and, and so he's with fear and, and, and trembling. He approaches the king, risking everything. His heart's probably pounding out of his chest, probably not even sure why he's doing this, what he stands to gain. But he goes before the king, and the king shows favor on him. Why? Because God's moving. And, and, and the king says, okay, not only will I send you, but man, here, here's a letter. You can actually use the woods from my own forest to begin to rebuild these walls. And so Nehemiah has, has his favor, and he travels hundreds of miles, and he goes back towards Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he surveys the walls, and he goes by himself, and he walks the walls. Let me tell you, when you walk ruins, you can see how bad they are, right? There's nothing like that first-hand encounter. He, he wanted to see the stuff for himself. And so he walks the ruins, and the Bible tells us that as he's walking these ruins, he has to get off his horse because, because they're so bad that his horse can't even go through them all. And so he walks through these ruins, and then he comes back to, to, to Jerusalem. And what he encountered in Jerusalem wasn't just broken walls. He encountered far more than broken walls. See, what he encountered in Jerusalem were broken people. He encountered people that had drifted away from God and were hurting. And so as he, as he comes towards these broken people, he has this vision that God's given him. He has this passion that, that God's put in his heart for the rebuilding of walls. How many of you guys know that revival sometimes and most of the time takes place from a passion with a vision that God lays on one person's heart? And when that one person begins to move faithfully in that, according to that passion, the vision that God's given them, then things begin to change. And this is what happens with Nehemiah. He comes in the midst of the brokenness of these walls and the ruins and the, and the, and the burnt gates and amidst the, the brokenness of these people. He rallies these people together and he looks at them and he says, listen, we need to rebuild these walls. We can do this. And, 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 he, and he casts a vision to these people with such enthusiasm and such passion that combined with God moving in their lives that they grab this vision. No matter how impossible it seems, no, no, no matter how crazy it may appear, these are not skilled carpenters. These are not masons. These, these are just perfume makers, goldsmiths, moms, dads, priests, and children. You remember as we went through Nehemiah, we began to read the names. I love how God actually lists the names of the people and he lists their occupation. The perfume maker rebuilt this section of wall. How many of you want to live in a house that's made by the perfume maker? Yeah, not me, right? Or the goldsmith, not me. Or this guy and his daughters did this section or the priest did this. No, but what's interesting is God calls them to speak to these regular, ordinary, everyday people. And Nehemiah does that. And Nehemiah brings the vision and the passion and the enthusiasm that God gives him. And he communicates this to these people. And they get behind it. And their response to him is, let's do this. Let's rebuild the wall. And so these regular people, everyday people, moms, dads, daughters, priests, perfume makers, goldsmiths, just to name a few, they begin to unite together and come together for the purpose of rebuilding these walls. And the minute that happens, opposition comes. Just as we know, many times when God calls you to something, it seems like almost immediate opposition will rise up or attacks will come. I give the example of maybe a military base or some kind of position out in enemy territory. If you're just sitting there, if it's just sitting there and, and, and keeping to itself and not advancing or, or taking ground, the enemy doesn't want it there, but it's really not a threat. 
And so they're going to probably shift their focus onto other areas or other, uh, uh, other battalions or, or, or other bases that are actually being more effective, actually taking ground. But the minute you, you, you move from a defensive position to basically an offensive position, you start taking ground, all of a sudden the enemy takes notice. Why? Because now you're more of a threat. This happens in our lives all the time. The minute as a Christian you begin taking land from the enemy, that means, let's put this in a different perspective, you start leading people who are broken and hurting to Christ, he gets upset because he doesn't want you to do that. The minute you start being more effective for Christ, that opposition comes. And why does it come? Well, see, if the enemy can fire enough at me, and maybe if I can get scared enough, maybe I'll go back to my safety, or maybe I'll hide, or maybe I'll cower down, or maybe I'll just protect myself. And that's his goal, is just to put me back into my shelter to keep me from advancing, to help me to protect myself. And this is exactly what the enemy does here. And it's exactly what he does with Christians. If I can scare you enough, if I can scare you enough, if I can scare Rob enough, he's stepping out, he's talking to this guy, he's going to Haiti, whatever it may be, let me throw some gunfire down there, let me just, whatever it may be, and maybe I'll do whatever I can to make sure Rob goes, I'm never doing that again. When Karen gets to El Salvador, let me make sure that after the soccer field, let's make sure that the gangs really try and take that hill, because if I can shake her, and if I can dislodge her, then there's no way she's going to be effective. If she can, if I can get her to pack her bags and go home, that, man, I've been successful. This is exactly what happens with Nehemiah. See, the minute Nehemiah gets in, all of a sudden, these men and women, they start mobilizing, then the enemy gets afraid and starts using people to attack them. And these people come up to him and go, what are you doing? What do you think? You're really going to rebuild these walls? And they basically run these guys down. In fact, it's even said, one guy said, well, if a fox were even to run over the wall that you're building, it would fall and crumble. And again, if you're the perfume maker and someone says it to you, you're, you're going to go, yeah, you're probably right. I, I make perfume. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's the same thing with us, right? I love what Karen said. Karen said this. She's like, you know what? I didn't feel equipped. I didn't, I didn't feel empowered. I didn't know if I had the skill sets. It's got nothing to do with your skill sets and everything to do with his power. What it has to do with is your obedience to him. And what I love is God can use a perfume maker to make a solid wall. And if he can do that with a perfume maker and a goldsmith, what can he do with your life? It's not about your skill set. It's not about your ability. It's about your obedience. It's about your passion. It's about moving forward. And you know what? The enemy will come and go, what are you doing trying to talk to this person or help this person out? Look at your own life. You're a wreck. You've got this wrong with you, this wrong with you, this. Oh, let me bring up all your sins. Let me bring up all your past. Let me bring up all your failures. And this is why you're disqualified. And we've got to remember that when he does that, we've got to go back to God and go, hold on, let me remind you about who Jesus Christ is and the power of the cross. And the power of his shed blood that I stand not identified by my sin and my failures. I'm identified by the power of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And I am forgiven. You may throw that stuff up in my face, but it will not stand because God sees me through his blood. And this is exactly what happens with Nehemiah. And they're there and these, these, these attacks start coming and, and, and these verbal attacks and threatens, this threatening of physical attack. And, and the people get nervous and they get afraid. And, and Nehemiah says to them, hey, listen, arm yourselves. Let's take precautions. Arm yourself. Half will work and half will defend. But in the midst of this, you remember how awesome and how powerful your God is. And so because he says to them, he goes, basically, well, shift your eyes from the opposition, from the enemy, and shift your eyes to how big and powerful God is. And when you focus on God, the opposition will become, become less. What he didn't say was, Look at your training. Look at how effective you are. Look how powerful you are. You as a perfume maker are a fine instrument of war. No, he didn't say that. Why? Because he wasn't. He said, no, look at God. 
And so they did that because they focused on God and they followed him and they continued. Although they armed themselves, the wall continued to get built and built and built. And they would build this wall in 52 days. Goldsmiths, perfume makers, men, women, children, and priests would do the impossible incredibly fast. Why? Because God was with them. said, Nehemiah, when he went to Jerusalem, he didn't just encounter broken walls. What he encountered was broken people. Do you really think God was really about broken walls? As I read this story and I go, did God really go, man, I just don't like this wall being this way. And I really can't protect my people without this wall being built. Was it really about that? Was it that God really cared more about broken people? See, what I love about this is God sends Nehemiah to repair broken walls, but it seems like what's really in the back of God's mind is, I'm going to use a broken wall to repair broken people. I'm going to use a broken wall to, to rebuild my broken people. And so what he does is he sends Nehemiah, and then, he, and, then he, and then these people come together, and the minute they come together, right, in their brokenness and, and, and away from God, all of a sudden now they begin working together. And they begin working together. And when you work together with someone, you get to know them pretty well. And when you work together with someone, you either hate them or you build pretty good bonds with them, right? But what I found in, in my experience in life is when you go through tough situations with people, you get close to them. It doesn't seem to matter what the, what the differences are. And so here we have these people, and, 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 and they begin working together. And they're under the leadership of Nehemiah. And they begin trusting together. And, 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 and when, the, when the opposition comes, they, they begin defending each other. They have to guard each other while they work. They trust. They work. They defend all together. And in the midst of this, Nehemiah is saying to them, man, in the midst of this, look towards God. Don't find faith and trust and, and strength in yourselves, but find that tr- faith and trust and security in God. And so as they're doing this together, right, and they're looking towards God, and there's this coming together of people. And by the time that wall had been built, as Pastor Randy preached last week, man, there was a change in these people's hearts. There were those who were rich and wealthy who were lending money out to the other Jews who were poor and they were basically charging excessive um, interest on it. And and Nehemiah spoke to them in the midst of it and said, what are you doing to each other? Just the fact that these men who were doing this would suddenly stop and check themselves and go, you know what, you're right, this is wrong, and give everything back showed a transformation of people's hearts. And so at the end of 52 days, God hadn't just rebuilt a wall he began to rebuild his people. You know what would go on to happen if you go in and read the rest of Nehemiah? You would see that in chapter 8, Ezra comes and, and then he gathers all the people and they all come to hear the reading of the law. Then you'll see in chapter 9 that the people come together and they begin to confess their sins and the sins of their fathers. And then chapters 10 and 11, like this revival begins to begin to happen amongst the people. They begin to rededicate their lives back to God. And so all of this because God wanted a wall rebuilt? And in this, God used Nehemiah. And in this, God used Ezra. And in this, God used a perfume maker. And in this, God used a goldsmith. And in this, God used a husband. And in this, God used a a wife. And in this, God used daughters. 
And I love how God mentions the details of their occupations who God used to do what he wanted to do. As I look at this, I go, man, what's, what's the message in this for us? What is, what is God saying? Do we really want to walk away from here and go, man, let's talk about Nehemiah's leadership skills and abilities. We could do that. He was a phenomenal leader. He did amazing stuff. In fact, there are books that talk about leadership all based on Nehemiah's life. Is that really what God wanted us to take from it? I'm sure there are aspects of it that he wanted us to take. What did God really want us to take from this? Did God really want us to go home after Nehemiah and go, man, God cares about walls. I need my walls done in my house. Is that what God really cares about? Or does God want us to say, no, I care so much about my people. I care about broken people and broken circumstances that I will use a wall. I will use whatever I have to to rebuild their lives. And I will gather people together to do it. Jesus came and he died not for walls and not for buildings and not for property. He came and he died for people. For broken people. And the message I get from this is, and it doesn't matter what your skill set is or what your skill set isn't. It's not really about how strong you think you are or how weak you think you are. It's about your ability to say, God, if you want me, you have me. I will go where you want me to go, and I will do to the best of my ability what you want me to do. That attitude and that attitude of obedience combined with the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life is an unstoppable force. And the enemy will get afraid. And when you start living your life that way, guess what? Opposition will come. And when opposition comes, man, everything in you is going to be like, man, I want to go back home. I don't want to be in El Salvador throwing up and fighting gang members. That just gave a really cool you know, visual, you fighting gang members. But anyway, I don't want to do that. I just want to go home to the safety, the security. Like, I, I wonder if Nehemiah ever felt that way. But when you fix your eyes on Christ, and you say, man, wait a second. I fix my eyes on Christ. I will run the race that he has marked out for me. Paul says this. If I can find my notes. I've gone so far off my notes now. Okay. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. He says this. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. All right, don't worry about your past sins. Bring them towards God. Let them forgive you, and then move forward. The enemy will try and bring them up and try and destroy you by them. You know what? You can't believe them. God says you're forgiven as long as you bring them before him and ask forgiveness. Don't defend them. Don't deny them. Don't claim that they weren't sin. Own them and say they are sin. Give them to God, and then put it behind and move forward, not in your power, but in his power. Forgetting what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Grab hold of the focus that God is giving you. Grab hold of that focus, and I'll tell you what it is. If you don't know, it's going to be broken people. It might look a little differently where you are. It might be broken people where you work. It may be as a doctor, broken people in the hospital. As a construction worker, it may be broken people as you build buildings. As a janitor, as you clean buildings, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter where you are. God's mission for you is broken people. And the enemy will do everything he can to derail you from reaching them, and he will bring up your past in order to do it. He will bring up your lack of skill set in order to do it. Don't believe him. Forget what is behind you. Strive towards what is ahead of you. Forgetting what is behind, strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And if we will devote ourselves to this, 
And God will do amazing things among us. God wants to use you. We know this. God has told us this. God has told us that we need a new building. He has made that perfectly clear. We had a, a, a large number in first service as well. We need new buildings. We don't have the parking. We don't have the, the room for the kids' ministries downstairs. That's all great. But let me tell you, God's, I, I don't think it, as God surveys New England, he's going, the chief of my concerns is their building. I don't think that's God's attitude at all. I don't think he's going, man, this is the most important thing. I think as God surveys the South Shore, what he sees is broken people. And his chief concern is, man, I need to lead these people out of brokenness into fullness and into life. And because I'm going to do that, we need a new building to house them. The focus is not the building. The focus is people. The, the building is a byproduct. Let's not get focused on a building. And then the main message of Nehemiah that I want to really share with us is this. Man, the focus, how this wall got done was not because of Nehemiah's great leadership. It's because the people got involved. And the people got passionate. And the people grabbed hold of it. They didn't move just according to their skill set and abilities. No, they moved out of their comfort zones. You'll hear me say this from here on out as long as you hear me preach. I would love the fact that he used a goldsmith and a perfume maker to build walls. And if he will use them to build walls, he will use you and he will use me. I can't tell you how many times I disqualified myself from ministry when God called me to it. I can tell you a list of how unqualified I was and why I wasn't the right person and how much there were so many other better people to do it than me. And God said to me, I felt like he said to me, good, you know you're weak. And because you know you're weak, you need me more. And because you know you're weak, you will depend on me more. And because you depend on me more, I can do more with you and your weakness than you will ever do if you think you're strong. God, help this church if I move in my strength. The only way we can be effective is if God moves through me and if God moves through you. We're all in that boat together. As this comes down to you, it comes down to I. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. Maybe you're in that moment where you're going, man, I just feel like there's something more. I wish, I wish, I wish God would just paint this picture for me of, of, of what it all looks like. Well, maybe you're in a moment where, where, where God's just training you and God's just equipping you, just as he equipped Nehemiah. Or maybe you're in a moment and, 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 and you're kind of using that as an excuse. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm not qualified and as soon as this happens, or as soon as I get to this level of spirituality, as soon as I get to this point in my life, then I'll be equipped. See, what, what changes and rebuilds walls is when you move beyond the boundaries of your comforts, when you move beyond the boundaries of your skill set, and you surrender, even as the songs that we sang this morning, you surrender and say, God, move in my life. Here's what God wants from this church. He really doesn't want you posting and showing off your scripture knowledge on Facebook. I'm not attacking you if that's what you do. That, that better not be all that you do, okay? If that's the level of your Christianity, putting scriptures on Facebook, you need to go pray, okay? It doesn't make you look spiritual. If that is what you do, and as long as it's followed by action, then praise God. It's not about some kind of spiritual superiority. It's not about how much you can tell people who don't know Christ how, much, how sinful they are. That's not exactly what God called you to do either. God convicts, God challenges, God transforms. You and I don't have the power to do any of that. All we can do is we can love, we don't have to condone, we can love and we can point to him. I'm saved not because of anyone else's actions, I'm saved only because of what he did. And so we can love and we can reach out and we can point. We don't heal anybody, only Jesus Christ does that. 
But I tell you what, if God can use me and can use us just to almost bring that connection and just point, then that's exactly what God wants to do. I want to ask you, you don't have to. This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is waiting to call you out at Nehemiah and get you to quit your job. I'm not saying that at all. Let me back up. Let me say it this way. At the end of a movie, right, all these credits roll, right? And you pause on each name to make sure you read everything, right? Like this guy, Jack, what's his name? And he, and, and he was the, you know, he fixed the sets and this person here and, and she did the costumes or whatever. No, we don't care, right? And there are, what, hundreds, maybe thousands of names on those credits, right? All we know is the big names in the movie. And everybody wants to be the big name. But you know what? That movie couldn't have happened without all those people. That movie could not have happened without all those people. Corey's worked on sets from this kind of stuff. They know without these makeup people, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not about some spotlight position. Nehemiah couldn't have built that wall out by himself. No, what's important is this, is are you doing what God has called you where he's placed you? If you can go to your workplace and go, there are absolutely no broken people here, then I guess it's time for you to leave. Go find some broken people. All right? Go find some broken people. And, and if, 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 if you can walk out of here and go, I don't see any broken people around me, then you don't live where I live. If you go to your job place or your communities, your neighborhoods, and you find people broken and hurting, then God has a ministry for you there. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to fix all their problems. Just be there. Just love on them. Just walk with them. Just point them to Christ. That is what God is calling us to do. Let me ask you something. If we're really serious about building the kingdom of God, if we really believe that God transforms lives, if I really, man, I know what God has done in my life, all I want is I don't want a head count. I just want people to experience and embrace the same thing that I've got to experience. I want people to experience the same joy and peace that God's given me. It doesn't mean my life is perfect. It just means that, man, I know what he's done in me and in my trials and things. Man, I know that what he's done in me, he'll do in them. What, what happens if all of us go, you know what? My goal is just one person who's hurting this year. Just, just this year, right? Not like a week, not a month, just a year. What if each of us were just to go, I just want to take the love of Christ to one person and walk with them through this? You know what happens? 300 turns into 600 in one year right? In two years, if everybody does that, 600 turns into 1,200. Guys, don't misunderstand me. It's not about numbers. I don't care about them coming to this church. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about them, uh, people who are broken and hurting and depressed and miserable, finding who, out who Christ is and their lives being transformed by his power. See, that's what God calls us to. Can I, can I ask you something to challenge you? When's the last time you walked with someone like that? When's the last time you led someone to Christ? When's the last time we did that? I mean, if we really believe this, has it gripped our hearts to that point where we go, man, where we have that Nehemiah moment where we go, man, this is something. This is worth my life. This is worth my life. This is worth total devotion for me. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care what happens. But because this is important, man, I am going for it. See, you can have that moment right where you are. And God's calling you to it. I don't want us getting excited about a building. I want us getting excited about people who are hurting, finding God, and being healed. That's what I want us to get excited about. And I, as I look around this building, what I love is so many of you, I know your stories. 
I know the brokenness. I've seen the before. I've seen the after. I've seen the power of God move in your lives. And it is awesome. You could preach this message better than I could. And don't we want to take that to other people? Go back to your brokenness. Go back to where you were. Go back to where you were hurting. And then go, man, I know what Christ did. That is what God is calling us to do. That, to me, is the story of Nehemiah. It's about broken people. It's about building his kingdom. And God has called you and I to do it. I want to ask our prayer team to come forward and join me at the front. If you're in our prayer team, will you come forward? I want to close with the same quote that I opened with. There is nothing in the world which helps a man surmount his difficulties, survive his disasters, and stay healthy and happy as a knowledge of a life task worthy of his devotion. What task is worthy of your devotion? What task is worthy of your life? I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, I want to look back and go, did I spend my life well? Did I run the race? It won't have anything to do with how much money did I make or what position or what title I held. Just simply, did I run my race well? Did I do what God called me to do? Was I faithful in the little things as much as I was the big? What is worth a total life commitment? What task? And is what you're currently doing, is it what you're currently doing? Is what you're currently doing worth a total life devotion? And if not, why are you doing it? Will you stand on your feet this morning? I just want to close us out in prayer. This is what I want to do. These altars are open. If God is speaking to you, that's between you and him. You can respond to him at the, where you're sitting. You can respond to him at the front. But I do ask this. Would you respond to him? This has got nothing to do with me or anybody else. It's between you and him. But he is calling his people to restore his people and to help his people. And you and I have the amazing privilege and honor to share in what he does. We have the amazing privilege and honor. I tell you, there is nothing like watching God transform lives. I can't tell you how many people have come to this church and I've gone, you've heard me say this a thousand times before, God, I don't know how you're going to fix this person. My God, they are so wrecked, as if I was any better, right? God, I don't know how you're going to do it. And then a few months from there, I go, God, I don't know how you did that. That is amazing. It's not, it's not because I'm some phenomenal preacher or because my prayers are any fantastic. It's not because Pastor Rennie is a great worship leader, and he is, but it's got nothing to do with me. It's got only to do with his power and his authority. I tell you, there's nothing more rewarding, nothing more rewarding, no amount of, of money, no paycheck, than someone coming up to you and saying, man, I just want to thank you because you made a difference in my life. That's it. And you know it's not you. You know it's God. And here's the thing. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by Jesus Christ, and he wants to use you, whether you are a a goldsmith or a perfume maker, to build his kingdom. And if you will surrender to him, he will build his kingdom through you. And he will defeat the words of of the enemy that accuse you and try and tear you down. And you will be called repairer of broken walls. Amen? 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, I thank you that you saw me in my brokenness. I thank you, God, that, that from heaven, Lord God, where, where you were fine, you didn't need to come down here. God, you could have stayed up there in, in, in the beautiful excellence of heaven, Lord Jesus. But you saw me in my dirt. You saw me in my sin. You saw me in my shame. You saw me, Lord God, distance from you. And because you loved me, because you cared about me, you chose to come and you chose to get dirty with me. And you chose to walk with me. And you chose to take my sin and my shame and my pain. And God, everything that I identified myself with and all the horrible stuff, and you took it upon your shoulders and you took it off of me. And then you went to a cross and you died for me. The, the death that I deserved for my, as punishment for, for being me. You died for me and you set me free and you gave me life. God, I thank you that I can stand forgiven and righteous, not in myself, but because of you. I thank you, Lord God, that I can have life because of you. And God, I pray now. God, and I thank you that, that all of us are in that position here this morning. But God, I pray now, God, would you grip our hearts like you gripped Nehemiah's? God, would you grip our hearts, Lord God, for those who are broken and hurting? And God, God, would you, would you create a fire inside of us and a passion inside of us? God, that, 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 that nothing would stop us from chasing after you and running after these people, Lord God. I pray, Father, we'd be so consumed with them, we wouldn't care about our positions, we wouldn't care about whether we got fired or whether we got hired, Lord God, that we would just run after you. God, that we would just focus on you. And, and God, I pray that as your people, as you mobilize your people, and they start doing this, God, would you protect them and would you keep them? And when the opposition comes and the enemy attacks, I pray, God, that you would shift their eyes from the attacks of the enemy and shift them to to how awesome and how powerful you are, Lord God. And I believe, Lord Jesus, because of your awesomeness and how powerful you are, we too will rebuild broken walls and broken people's lives here. And they too will come to know how powerful and awesome you are. God, use us. God, we don't want to be about tradition. We don't want to be about religion. We don't want to be about going to church on Sunday. We want to be about your kingdom. We want to be about helping people. Thank you, God, that you would choose to use us. Thank you, Father, that you qualify us. You equip us. Use us now to bring glory to your name and to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, we're going to close in worship. These altars are open. We love you guys. God bless.